Welcome to this workshop. I am Rose, and I am Anna Rexic, and your moderator for this session. Um, right. Please join me with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The format for this session is as follows. Three speakers for 20 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of question and answer, which are the ask it, ask it, or if you want to raise hands. Um, finishing with 15 minutes of open pitches. This session is being taped, so if you are doing an open pitch, you're going to have to sign a sheet up here. Um, Please turn off all cell phones for the duration of the meeting, and remember that it is against our traditions of anonymity to take photos during the meeting. Um, the topic for this session is young people, and I'd like to introduce our first speaker, Natasha. Hi, I'm Natasha, compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, can you guys hear me okay? Okay. Speak up a little. Let me move it like that, too. I'm a little bit tall. So, I feel a little self-conscious being up here, but here I am. Um, I I was given this topic to speak about, and part of me doesn't really know what to say. You know, I'm young, and I'm in OA. At this point, I, I don't think about my age when I go to meetings. I don't, you know, it never really comes to mind. But it did somewhat when, when I came here. I came here when... Um, I came here for like one or two meetings when I was 20, and then when I was 21, I came and I stayed. Um, and so, and I'm 26 right now. So coming up in in August is my belly button birthday and my abstinence birthday. So I'll have five years, you know, one day at a time come August. Um, so I'll start a little bit with my story, with what it was like. I wrote some notes in case I got really nervous up here. Um, so my disease started when I was young, just like I think a lot of people in these rooms. When I was a kid, I would be eating a whole box of cereal for snacks, or my mother would put out three snacks for um, my brothers and I. I have two brothers, and then I would get home early, and I would just, like, trim off the sides of eat mine and then trim off the sides of theirs and then, you know, eat as much as I could before other people got home, and I just was obsessed with my body and obsessed with my weight. When I was in the fifth grade, I that's when my body hatred and my dieting really, really started. I just remember sitting in the bathtub, like, with my stomach, and it was just kind of flubby, and I would just poke it, and I'd poke my breast, and I'd be like, ugh, I just, I hate myself. I hate myself. You know, and I wanted... I wanted to be skinny, so I made up these diets. I'm only going to eat bananas, or I'm only going to eat strawberries. I don't even know what. I made up these crazy diets, and I wrote them out in lots of details, and I don't even know where I came up with them, but I probably heard somebody say something. One time, somebody told me their father lost weight by being a vegetarian, and I became a vegetarian for five years without thinking about it. So I was just obsessed with my body, and that's all I could think about, my body, boys, and food. Um, and all through high school, the same thing. I just, it was always, am I fat? Oh, my God, I need to go on a diet. And in high school, I had periods where I was overeating. I had periods when I was dieting. I had periods when I was purging. Two periods when I was bulimic via 
sticking my finger down my throat. I wasn't really too into the laxative deal, but um, I purged a lot. And it just, you know, and it really didn't matter what stage of my disease I was in. I was never not obsessed with myself, and I was never not hating myself. And when I came into these rooms, I was in a place where um, I was incredibly willing and incredibly desperate. I dropped out of college twice at that point. I was becoming very good at it. And I, at that point, I was binging, like, on bags and bags of food from Safeway. And when I purged, it wasn't like, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to purge once. It was, I'm going to, I, I ate all these food, all this food, and then I purged, like, 10, 20 times, and then I eat more food, and then I purge, and then I tried to make myself run five miles, and then I could hardly stand up straight because I was hurting so much, because of throwing up so much, and because of exercising, and because of stuffing all of this food down me. And I and I got to a place where um, I I tried a lot of things to stop, but I never could stop. I tried to figure out my mind and what was going on in me and um, and I didn't know I didn't know how to do anything else. I kept saying I'm I'm not going to do it. I hate it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get up again and do it. And then I'd get up again and do it um, until I came to these rooms. And I was just you know at this point I could say gratefully I was incredibly depressed when I came here. I was I didn't think there was a way out. I didn't think there was a way that I could stop eating. I thought I'd have to be locked up, but then I found out the only places I could get locked up in my condition would, or, you know, only programs I could go to would last for about maybe three months, cost, I don't know, $6,000 a day, and then the three months would end. And I knew that after that three months, I was just going to keep on eating, you know. So I was, I was suicidal at that point. I was a wreck. I was a complete wreck. I found out about OA by reading a book and looking in the reference section, because I needed to, I was just looking for answers anywhere, and I saw OA, and I called their number, and I think at that time, when you called the number, they gave you a place to send a, to send, um, a letter to to request a schedule, and I did that, and they eventually sent me a schedule, and then I went to my first meeting. Um, so for some people going into OA, they had this idea like, OA, you know, it's not a not cool, it's not hip, I don't want to be seen in OA, it's a 12-step thing. And I didn't really know much about program, I didn't really know much about 12-steps, so I didn't have that um, idea as much. But I had a lot of funky ideas when I came in. I mean, for one thing, I was, I was very desperate. I didn't think OA was going to work. I thought, you know, maybe it'll work with food, but it's not going to work with depression, and I'm so screwed up right now that there's just no way. There's just no way. But I was willing to do, um, I was just willing to do whatever, whatever I was told because I didn't know what else to do at that point. I completely did not know what else to do. And um, so I went into my first meeting. This was when I was 20, and the 2021 thing was a big deal for me at that time. I, I went to my first meeting, and, you know, part of me still wants to do the thing that's cool and that's hip. And, you know, when I, when I went into those rooms, at first I just didn't see a lot of young people. And there weren't. I mean, when I came in, there was, like, maybe three people. And I mean, there weren't a lot of people 
um, young people who, who were there and who stayed and I went into the room and um, there was a lot of you know different older people there and then this one young person walked in who was totally hip and just that's what I thought. She was totally hip and just was all dressed all cute and nice. So I thought, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. Like she was this one person who um, was there. And I wonder if I told you that story. I'll ask her later. But um, so that was part of it. You know, I just, for me, just seeing that one person really, really helped me. Maybe if that one person was there, I don't know if I would have stayed. Um, but then on the flip side of things, Part of me has always had this thing about youngness being connected to immaturity and not being enough. And so when I came in and I saw a lot of older people talking about other things, I thought, oh, but I'm young, I'm not good enough. So it's either they're not good enough because they're not young and hip, or I'm not good enough because I am living with my parents right now. And how can I talk about that when people are talking about their kids and their careers and their whatever. So, you know, I simultaneously, I mean, the disease is funny when you begin to see it because these, like, simultaneous ideas that kind of contradict each other just exist. Um, and at any rate, when I was, um, I came for that meeting or two when I was 20, and then when I was 21, um, I came back and stayed, and somehow that little age difference to me was like, okay, well, at least I'm 21. At least maybe I could try now. I mean, it was it was silly, but it's where I was at. It was it's where I was at at the time. Um, what else do I want to say? Um, so, I guess the thing about you know when I started going to meetings, I didn't think. I wasn't thinking too much about age because the truth of the matter was I didn't really know how to live and I didn't know how to get through the day and I didn't know if I was going to get through a week, you know, with depression, with binging, with purging, with body hatred, with everything. And and what I got to hear when I was in the rooms was people talk about the disease and people talk about their fears. And... Um, that's what was real, and that's what I got to see. People talking about, you know, fear of not being good enough. People talking about binging, like I binged, by the Safeway bag full, if not five, while I'm in my car and driving, I'm digging my hand into a pie. Now, I had not been around people who had done that. People talked about being bulimic. And there was a time, even though a lot of people are bulimic, um, have gone through that these days and, and there's more, um, you know, people talk about it more. I didn't know that. I didn't know that other people were bulimic. I thought it was just me. So that's, that's what I heard, you know. I, I heard about the food. I heard about the bulimia. I saw the recovery. I saw people learning to live their lives and living their lives and having things in their life that I didn't have because when I'm in the food, I don't have a self anymore because it's just me and food and you're blocked out and the world is blocked out. Growth is blocked out. You know, hopes are blocked out. I just get so in this fog and in this haze. Um, so that's, that's one of the big things that I saw. And, I, I mean, at the same time, 
being in the rooms, you know, a lot of people talked more in their shares about issues that were were different than the issues that I was dealing with, like people might be talking about their careers, people might be talking about, you know, a marriage situation or they're raising their children or, you know, whatever it is, whereas for me it was, like I said before, living with my parents at that point or writing a paper for school when I was back in school or other types of things. So, I mean, again, it was like the external thing, like it was different. And there was times when I felt kind of like, kind of weird about that. But at the same time, the things that were driving the uncomfort were the same things. You know, the fears that were underneath it and the realness that I heard when people were talking about what was going on in their life and um, when and when I got to talk about what was going on in my life. When, by the way, I was willing to raise my hand at a meeting because that took a long time. People who know me, who knew me when I came in, like I just kind of hovered in the back, in the corner. You know, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was just scared. You know, I don't even, I don't even know what it's like to be that person anymore, just to be so afraid and, you know, some friends of mine who, who have been in program a long time and saw me then were just like, we just didn't know if you were going to make it. I mean, I was just kind of hovered over and scared out of my mind and scared to raise my hand. And even thinking about raising my hand, my heart would just, you know, beat really, really, really fast. Um, but, you know, eventually I did. And the more that I showed up in these meetings, the more that I just saw people and the more that I found things that I could relate to. Um, that's odd. So um, I feel just a lot of, I just feel like there's, there's such a gift for me in, in being in program right now because I get to grow up right now and I get to grow up with the 12 steps. Like, that's amazing. I'm in my 20s, and I get to work the 12 steps around all of my issues and all the things that come up. And that means that whatever comes up, I get to grow through it. And I get to get somewhere else because I'm not going to be in the food right now. I mean, I heard somebody one time say at a meeting, I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And I wanted to laugh because I thought, like, it was a slip. Like, she didn't mean to say grateful. Because how could you possibly be a grateful compulsive overeater? And today, I am most definitely a grateful compulsive overeater and bulimic because I'm in program and I'm in recovery and I get to continue to grow and show up. And I have this network of beautiful, wonderful people when I go through things in my life, like I get to work the steps around stuff, I get to work the tools around it, and then... I have fellowship, you know, I have women of so many different ages that I can turn to for support whenever I'm going through something that seems unbearable, which, you know, periodically those things just keep coming up. It's like, this is really hard, be it illness or relationship or school or whatever that's coming up that feels unbearable. I instantaneously can come up with at least 10 people who have gone through the same thing abstinently and I can call them. And I can get their experience, strength, and hope, and I, get, I can lean on that and, and go forward with that rather than be alone in it. Like, I don't have to experience 
that aloneness at all. Five minutes left. Oh, okay. Um, so another thing is, so I'm a student, and I have been living with women in their 20s and 30s for the last two years in the household of women. And the life of a student, typically, I don't find to be very sane. And sometimes the life of young people, I typically don't find to be very sane, especially as a student, especially with midterms and papers. There's a lot of binging that goes on, which is not necessarily my kind of binging and the disease kind of binging that I was in, but there's a lot of really unhealthy just behaviors around sleeping, around eating, around, you know, it's finals time, it's midterm time, so let's make three pans of this big thing and let's do this and let's do that. And it's just kind of mind-boggling to me at some point. So, um, so I get to be in this house with lots of women. I'm not there right now, but I'll be back there shortly, um, engaging in a lot of behavior that I don't engage in. And sometimes it's a little bit weird. Or at a party of non-OAers or non-12-steppers when they're eating regular food or they're doing this or they're just, you know, hanging out and, you know, eating dinner at 9 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock or whatever it is, where there's, there is this little, like, kind of awkwardness that comes up in me. And I'm, and I'm mixed about when I tell, um, when I share that I am a 12-stepper and I'm an Overeaters Anonymous and when I don't. I kind of, I offer information, and if the person continues to ask questions, I continue to, to let them know what's going on with me. Um, but sometimes I, can, I get that sense of feeling just like a little bit weird and a little bit uh, kind of on the outside. I'm not really like these other young people. And um, that can come up for me. But I also know that when I'm in program or what my disease mind is always trying to find a way to tell me that I'm different and to tell me that I'm, you know, weird or strange in whatever way. And usually that's not true. And even if it were true, I mean, it wouldn't matter so much. Um, but what I've found and what people say to me, these people who at first I think will judge me, they're always like, wow, you take such good care of yourself. You know, wow, look at, you know, look at what you're doing with food, looking at what you're doing with exercise or, or sleep patterns or whatever. So I have this... Um, pattern of sanity that is completely due to the 12 steps that I get to apply to this academic lifestyle that I'm in and will be in for a number of years, um, and I get to live it. You know, I get to live it, and I get to have that freedom. And, you know, like I said before, it just makes me, it makes me so grateful to have what I have. Even earlier today, I was talking with somebody over during lunch, and I had all these really uncomfortable feelings come up. And then I was in a workshop right now, the one before this one, and I couldn't really listen because my head was kind of spinning and kind of funky, and I was feeling feelings, and I was feeling fear, and I was having that like gut-clenching, like churning feeling. And I just kind of did some writing. I did some writing. I wrote a little fear inventory. And, you know, I closed my eyes and kind of meditating while I was, you know, admittedly only half listening to the speaker, but I was hearing stuff come in while I was doing that. And, again, I've just that I've, I've opened my life up to this um, at this age, and I just get to continue to grow with it instead of eat. Because when I came in here, the only thing I knew how to do was eat. I was uncomfortable. I ate. 
I was uncomfortable, I exercised. I was uncomfortable, I, I did something that would distract me from the discomfort right away. You know, I had a feeling and I thought, there's no way that I could feel this. There's no way I could get to the other side of this. And then what do you know I did? You know, and I had those experiences more and more in program where I'm like, there's no way I could get to the other side of this, and then I do. And then I get to be a little bit stronger, and I get to get a little bit closer to my higher power. Um, you know, and I get to have a, a program that works for me. And I think what I love about program, one of the things I love is that I get to find what works for me, works for me. I don't have to do what whoever it is does. I get to do what works for me. And for me in my life, you know, my life as a young person, my life as a person, I get to, I get to have an abstinence in which I can grow, an abstinence that works in my life, you know, by, by food, by the way I work my program, by the way, you know, by how many meetings I show up, by everything. I think that for me, whatever, you know, whatever the difference is between two, three people, thank you, um, you know, there's always a way, there's always a sponsor that will work for you. There's always a way of program that will work for you in a way to, at least there always has been for me, in a way to show up and grow. So, you know, I just kind of feel like, I don't know, program is about coming in recovery and it's about spirituality and I just feel so much unity with, um, with the people in these rooms. And like it says in the big book, you know, we're not people who would ordinarily interact or something like that. You know, we're not these type of people that would normally come together and yet we do. And that's what I find underneath all the exterior stuff, underneath all the age stuff, is that we have this common disease and we're here for recovery. Um, and like I said again, you know, I'm just, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful that young hit person was at my first meeting. And, um, you know, I just feel really blessed. So, thank you. Thank you, Natasha. Um, our next speaker is going to be Abby. Can you guys hear me? Okay. I'm Abby, compulsive reader and bulimic. Hi. And uh, in typical fashion, I did not prepare for this at all. And I'm sitting here being like, oh my God, why didn't I prepare? That was so dumb. But, you know, that's how it goes. Is that better? And now you can see me? Okay, good. Um, anyway, so let's see. I guess I'm just going to talk about kind of what happened, what it's like, what happened now, uh, what it's like now. Um, and I guess, I mean, when Rebecca asked me to speak, I sort of felt like, you know, number one, oh, my God, I'm, I'm how can I talk about being a young person? I feel so old these days and, and whatever. And um, But just to let you know, I'm 32. Um, I came into the program when I was 20. So I've been around for almost 12 years, and um, it's really been an amazing journey, and a lot's happened, and a lot continues to happen, and I think that that's one of the things that I want to talk about, because I think that when I came into program, I mean, there was a lot going on, but I, I didn't really get, you know, when I first started getting some recovery, I didn't get that it would continue to change over time, and that my recovery would continue to grow, and that everything from my food to my spirituality to the way I do program has changed. Um, and it's sort of nice. It's sort of like it never gets boring. Or when it starts getting boring, that's usually because I'm not really doing enough for my program and I need to maybe give it a little kickstart. So um, so what it was like, I grew up uh, around here. I grew up in Berkeley. And um, I grew up uh, with a single mom. And I think probably 
one of the, there was a lot of really great things about that, but one of the challenging things is that I definitely grew up with this idea that a big part of being a woman was about losing weight and looking your best at all times. And um, it was definitely something that was emphasized a lot. My mom was on a lot of diets when I was young. She got into recovery as well um, about 20 years ago, I think, um, when I was a teenager. So, you know, she's definitely had her path. But, um, but it was hard for me, and that's something that I'm actually realizing more and more these days is how, how much I got that message, you know, from society and all that stuff. But I think particularly for my family that it was, it was very important to, to be trying to be skinny. So, um, so for me, um, although I do have a lot of memories of being young, just being excited by food and interested in food and, you know, hiding under tables with my friends and, like, sneaking food from the top of the table when it wasn't time for dinner yet or whatever, um, you know, I wasn't somebody who was overweight as a child or, or any of that. And my journey through the insanity of the disease, I think, really started in full when I was around 11 or 12, which is right when I went through puberty. So I went through puberty very fast. It was like one day I was a kid, and the next day I looked, you know, the way I do now, and it was like poof. And that was really scary for me. You know, I mean, again, I was 11 years old, and I was not somebody who was ready for that kind of thing. You know, I was still a kid. I liked playing with, you know, my toys and playing make-believe and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, it was like people were reacting to me in a really different way. Um, and that was really scary. And what I remember a lot about that time is that's when I first started reading Seventeen magazine and all those magazines and um, learned about, you know, doing leg lifts and, like, what kind of food you're supposed to eat and what the little teenage movie stars were doing. And, um, actually something I'm finally letting go of reading magazines about what movie stars are doing and what diets they're on. Um, but, you know, so at 11 or 12, I was really starting to focus on that. And um, I remember in junior high, you know, being with a friend of mine, and I had this deal with her, like, if you see me eating, you know, candy, like, tell me to stop, you know. And that was when I first really remember this sense of, like, I want to not eat, or I want to not eat certain things, but it's really hard, and I need, you know, I don't know what to do. And and, of course, that didn't work. My friend would tell me, don't eat that, and then I would be like, fuck you, and eat it anyway, you know. And so it was just sort of that feeling of, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. Um, and that is something that has been very painful for me over time, you know, this idea that there's foods that are not okay um, for me. And that's pretty much everything but lettuce and celery <laughs> um, was in my mind. Like, those are okay foods. You can eat as much as you want of those, you know. Um, so... You know, and that's a hard way to live as a, as a kid and as a teenager. And it was certainly something that um, I, you know, would go through phases of, um, you know, as a teenager kind of like overeating and then undereating and binging and purging and, you know, not really binging but trying to purge anyway. And, you know, I've pretty much done it all and, um, you know, started getting bulimic. I guess it was around um, 15 or so. Um, so I did that, and um, that's not too fun. And um, let's see, what else do I want to talk about what it was like? I guess what I want to talk about, I mean, there's, there was the basics of, like, you know, eating, not eating, binging, purging, like, physically what I was doing. But I think the part for me that was the hardest was just the mental craziness, you know, and this, this self-hatred. And, I mean, I know that... Um, yeah, it was just a self-hatred and like sort of grabbing at my body and looking at myself in the mirror from different angles and like, ew, I'm fat, I'm fat, and, you know, and it was just like relentless. It was a relentless thing for me when I was a teenager, and it was something that, um, you know, I spent a lot of time comparing myself to other people, and it was just took up so much energy, you know, and that's the piece that's just like, God, you know, 
when I think about being a teenager, I don't, I mean, I had fun times with my friends and that kind of stuff, but it was like, there was always this underlying thing. And when I was alone, it was about that. You know, when I was alone, it was about, okay, what am I going to do to get skinnier and all this kind of stuff. So, and as far as my weight goes, it sort of went up and down during that time. Um, I probably, at my top weight, weighed about 15 to maybe 20 pounds more than now. And then at my lowest weight, I weighed about probably 10 or 12 pounds more than I, less than I do now. Um, and that was actually something interesting because to kind of jump way forward, I just recently gained some weight, which I needed to do. And, um, and it made me realize, I was at the doctor and I got on the scale and I was like, I think this is the weight that I was when I first decided I was way too fat and I have to lose weight. And it made me realize, wow, I'm totally crazy. <laughs> so that was a good thing to realize, you know. And it made me sad too because, um, I mean, it made me sad for just women in general and just the whole thing about, you know, women's bodies and, and you know, just to touch a little bit on society and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do feel sad. You know, I was in the drugstore the other day and there was a magazine cover and it was had like three movie stars on it that were like really, really skinny and it's like, oh, this one's 87 pounds and whatever, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, this is really crazy and it makes me sad because, you know, women come in all shapes and sizes and, um, and it's really important to be good to your body, you know. So I sort of have been thinking about that a lot. Um, so that was what it was like. Obsessed with how I looked, eating, not eating, binging, purging, unhappy. Um, and then, so that kind of continued into college. I tried other things, drugs, alcohol, you know. Those are, those are fun distractions too. But for me, a lot of that was around, you know, if I do those things, then I don't really feel so bad about the fact that I'm now going to go eat. So then I could eat more and kind of chose my friends a lot around, you know, what behaviors they wanted to do. I had friends who I would eat with and friends who I would do drugs with and friends who I would get drunk with and smoke cigarettes with and all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of, you know, I have a lot of really good or a couple of really good old friends that I've known forever, but I went through a phase where I kind of grabbed onto friends and let them go, you know, because it wasn't really about real friendships. It was about, you know, the behaviors that, that we would do together and that kind of craziness. So the way I got into program was that I um, lost all my friends because they all decided they didn't like me anymore, which kind of sucked. And um, and I pretty much stopped eating, which is was sort of new for me at the time. Um, really didn't eat much. Kind of was eating crackers and Diet Coke and cigarettes were pretty much my meal of choice. And um, not a very good meal or way to live, believe me. Um, so don't try it. And um, so I, you know, I was doing that, and I was really unhappy, and I was in college, and I was living in Seattle, and I was just like, okay, I have no friends, and basically I'm completely depressed, and I don't know what to do. And my mom told me, go to OA, and I was like, there's going to be fat housewives there. I don't want to go. <laughs> and that was my feeling about who would be in program. And, um, but eventually, you know, she said something that has always stuck with me, and she said, well, they'll be nice to you. At that point in my life, I was so low that, like, the idea of, like, somebody being nice to me, even if it was, like, because they had to, it was like, all right, I guess I'll try it. Um, so, so I went to a meeting, and lo and behold, there was not just that housewives there. There was, um, there was lots of different kinds of people, you know, and I think one of the biggest things that this program has done is it's allowed me to see that there's, there's, you know, connections that I can make with almost anybody, you know, and I had a lot of ideas about the right way to be, not just physically, but it was like, you know, I was living in Seattle in like, you know, the early 90s and the grunge time was happening. So I was like, well, you have to have tattoos and you have to like, you know, wear plaid shirts and like, that's cool. And, you know, that's how I know somebody is cool. And instead I found myself, you know, in a meeting sitting next to somebody who was like, you know, 
20 years older than me, had kids and a dog, lived in the suburbs, you know, whatever, and was like, she gave me this huge hug, and I was like, oh my God, this person is so nice, <laughs> you know? And I started to learn a little something, I think, about, you know, outside appearances and, you know, versus sort of what's inside somebody. And that's something that I needed to learn. Um, and I needed to learn for myself because I focus so much on my outside appearances that sometimes I forget, oh, wait a minute, I need to work on the inside me. You know, that's, that's me. The outside is kind of like, the me, you know, I live in my body, but I'm in there. And I need to, um, you know, work on being a good person more than work on being, you know, something pretty to look at. So, um, so I got into program. Um, people were nice to me. That was good. And, um, and I think, you know, for me, one of the most important things that I always tell people that I did really quickly was get a sponsor. And that was hugely helpful. And I've done this program with a sponsor and without a sponsor. And when I've done it with a sponsor, my life's been a lot better than when I've done it without a sponsor. But I like to try a lot of times. I like to try to do this program alone, you know. And, um, I mean, I was just sitting here thinking about that, that, you know, I've been here almost 12 years. And there's been many times when I don't have a sponsor and I'm not going to meetings more than maybe once a week and I'm not really doing anything. And then I'm like, you know, God, why am I so unhappy? And I, don't, I can't figure it out, and, you know. And then, uh, and then somebody pulls me back in, like, hey, why don't you come to more meetings, or why don't you be a speaker, or let's do some service, or whatever. And, um, and it really helps. And um, I think one thing I want to talk about a little bit, because this was important to me when I came in, is that um, for me, my life has always been, I have my 12-step, and I have my friends from 12-step, and I still have kind of, you know, my other life that has a lot of people in it who aren't in recovery. And um, thank God I'm not really friends with people who, like, need to be in recovery really badly anymore. It's more people that, for whatever reason, I, that I can't figure out, they don't seem to need this kind of thing. <laughs> and um, and, uh, and my husband's one of those people, you know, doesn't go to therapy, not in program, but, like, a rock. And, you know, I'm glad I found him because it's hard for me to believe there's people like that out there. Um, so, yeah, that was always something that was really important to me is to be able to still have, you know, other people in my life. And, um and it's been challenging because it means I'm in a lot of situations where there's not people who understand the way I eat or there's not people who understand, you know, who I am in, in that way. But what I've come to realize is it doesn't really matter because what matters is that I understand that and that, and that I do the things that I need to do to be sane. And, um, and sometimes that means even though other people are like, we, we don't feel like eating, you know, we, we don't eat or whatever it is. I'm like, well, I eat, so I need to go have my food, you know, and even if I have to go separate from people and have my food or whatever, you know, that's, that's what I have to do. And that's a huge part of recovery for me, too. Um, so I think another thing I want to talk about is just kind of my recent journey, which is, so like I said, I've been in program almost 12 years. Um, I spent the first 11 years really identifying as a compulsive overeater and um, not really understanding that a big part of my disease is undereating as well. So, and that's something that I think can be a little bit challenging in OA because I don't, I don't know why, you know, but I know for me I hid a lot in that part of my disease because it seemed like, you know, nobody ever questioned me about it and I wasn't going to tell anybody and, you know, I was really good at, like, keeping my secrets to myself and, um, and when I finally started telling somebody a little bit more about, you know, well, here's what I'm actually eating, they were like, yeah, maybe you need to eat a little bit more and, um, and so that's kind of been an interesting part of it too. Um, I know there's some other people who have experienced that as well, but like I said, it's not something people talk about a lot. So if that's interesting, you know, definitely come talk to me about it. Um, so, yeah, I, I found out I wasn't eating enough. I went to a nutritionist, which is really helpful for me. It's not helpful for everybody. It's not something that's like, you know, OA sanctioned or, you know, officially OA. 
Um, but it was really helpful for me to speak to somebody who could tell me really what I'm supposed to eat because I don't know. And that's what I found out at about 31 years old is that I have no clue what people are supposed to eat. You know, I think it's all about either you're eating celery or you're eating like 10 cakes. You know, there's like no middle ground. <laughs> and, um, and there is a middle ground and that's how I eat now, you know, and that's been really amazing and really different to be like, yep, I pretty much eat everything and, um, you know, I have my meals, I have my snacks and, um, there's no foods I don't eat, you know, and, and I was, I've been a vegetarian, I've been, I didn't eat fat, you know, all kinds of things that I've done. Um, and so I can really say that for the first time in my life, for the past, I guess it's been almost six months now, I really am not trying to lose weight <laughs> in any way. Not to outside people and not like secretly inside, you know. Um, and that's amazingly freeing, I have to tell you guys. It's amazingly freeing to like, get up and know that I'm going to have a day when I'm not going to be trying to lose weight in any way and I'm going to have the body shape I'm going to have and, you know, my clothes sizes have changed a little bit, but I'm healthier than I've ever been and it's just, it's amazing, you know, it's an amazing gift. Um, and how much time do I have? Five minutes? Okay. Um, so the other thing that I haven't talked about at all that I should talk about is the steps and the higher power thing because um, that's also been a really interesting journey for me. Um, I love steps. The steps are what this program is about. I forget that a lot. And I think that the program's about meetings and all my friends in program and, you know, my food and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, it's about the steps. And the steps are what have brought me to where I am, you know, and, and continue to bring me there. Because it's not like I do the steps and then I'm done. It's more like, you know, there are principles in the steps that are principles that you can find in probably any religion or spiritual path um, that are just really solid grounding principles that, that I need, you know, about being honest and being, you know, being of service to people and like all of, all of those kind of things, looking within and finding out, you know, my little demons and getting rid of them because I don't need them and they're not helping me or anybody else. Um, so, so yeah, working the steps has been a, a huge part of my program and, um, and then the higher power thing. So for me, when I came in, I was not religious at all. I had never grown up in any kind of religion. I grew up in Berkeley. I was like anti-religion. And, um, and I, you know, was kind of freaked out by the whole higher power thing. And for a long time, my higher power was just higher power, this kind of nebulous nothing thing. Then it became God, which was sort of my name for the nebulous nothing thing, but it started being a little more you know, formed into something, and um, and then now I've kind of gone back in the opposite direction, where I've been sort of looking at a lot of um, more things like meditating and some Buddhist principles, and you know, just the idea that higher power is like the forces of good, you know, and higher power is what brought me here today, and in the form of somebody in program who said, "Will you please speak at this thing?" and I said, "Okay," even though I was like, "Oh wait, shit, no, uh, now I have to speak," you know, but it's like that, you know, that's what. Um, that's what higher power does for me, I guess. It's just, it helps me to do the things that are good for me and good for other people instead of doing things that are about harming myself and, and wanting to, you know, look a certain way because if I look a certain way, then everything's perfect. Um, so I don't know what else I can really say other than just, you know, coming into this program as a young person was scary. You know, I was afraid of who I'd find here, but who I found here was, you know, first of all, a lot of people who were, maybe I thought they were old, but they're only a couple years older than me, you know? And, um, and also, you know, it got me through, you know, college and figuring out what to do after college and moving and, you know, 
finding the person I ended up marrying and going through, you know, my father dying and all kinds of things have happened since I've been in program and I don't know how, I don't think I personally could have done that leap from like teenagerhood to adulthood without, you know, the, the, the fellowship and, and the higher power and steps and all that stuff that I get from coming to these rooms. So, you know, I keep coming back is what I have to say. And, and, um, and it's scary. Um, and I know that when I was young, there was times when I was like, man, I just want to party. I don't want to do this thing, you know. But I found out a way to do both, so that worked out pretty good for me, you know. I found out a way to, to do fun things and, and travel and, you know, be, be a young person, even though I was doing this really um, amazing you know, growth thing through this program. So I think that's about all I have. So thanks. Um, our next speaker is going to be Christina. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm a compulsive overeater. And thank you guys for coming today so that I can do service. Um, it's really nice to be here, although when Rebecca asked me, I was kind of like, like Abby said, I was like, I'm not young anymore. Like, my time to speak at the young people's meeting has come and gone. Um, I came into the program uh, 12 years ago. I went to my first meeting um, in, in June of 1994, and I came four days before my 18th birthday. And um, uh, so I just turned 30, so I officially really am not a young person anymore. <laughs> um, and... When I came, uh, I came because I was really, really desperate. Um, I had had problems with food for a long time, um, but it had gotten to the point where it was really out of control, and, and it was really scary to me. I'd always kind of felt like I just didn't have a lot of willpower around food, and if, you know, when I would be at family things and they'd be having dessert, I would have to have a couple servings or whatever, and, and I just couldn't control myself. And um, that control just lessened as I got older. And um, when I came into the program, I heard people talk about, um, you know, people who were much older than me talk about the things in their life that they had missed. And these were all things that hadn't happened to me yet. You know, like things in your, in your 20s or your 30s or whatever, they talked about missing their kids being little or whatever because they were in the food. And, of course, none of that had happened to me. Um, what I missed was my teenage years. My the time that I was in high school was when my disease was really in full force. And so in the years that I was in high school, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't date at all during high school. Um, I didn't have any friends. I used to, like, eat lunch by myself. We had an open campus so I could go off the campus and try to find some place where, like, the people from my school wouldn't see me eating by myself. I was completely, completely, completely obsessed with my body. The body obsession started for me at about age 10, and I wasn't overweight, but somehow I got the idea that I was, and I put myself on my first diet, which I made up, and um, and I also used to get those magazines, because of course, like, this was all in secret, because when you're 10, like, you can't, you know, you can't go join a gym or whatever, so I had to, like, you know, I'd get the magazines and, like, look at the, the things they're doing, the squats or whatever, the, pu the push-ups, the sit-ups, all this, and I'd be, like, doing that in my room and trying to stick to my little diet, but I could never really stick to a diet for more than a couple days. And so I walked around with this huge amount of self-loathing because I just felt like, God, why can't I control this? And I thought the thing that I wanted most in the world was to have a perfect body because if I had a perfect body, I would have a perfect life. You know, I'd have the perfect guy. I would, I kind of guess I thought that it would give me like a personality change. 
Um, I'm a really shy person, and I always kind of wanted to be, and I still want this sometimes. Like, I see those people who are naturally extroverted, and they go into a room, and they're like, hi, and everybody, like, runs to them, and they're, like, the most popular person in the room. Like, that's the person that I wanted to be. And somehow I thought if I was thin, that, like, keep in mind that I was not actually, I was, like, 10, 15 pounds heavier than I am. So my, my idea of thin is kind of um, crazy thin. But, like, I thought that if I was thin, that somehow all these things would work in my life that weren't working. And so I couldn't understand why, if that was the thing that I wanted more than anything else in the world, why I couldn't manage to control my food. Um, and of course, later I got here and I learned that the reason I couldn't control my food is because, um, you know, I'm an addict. I have an eating disorder. It's not because I didn't want to be thin. You know, I thought that there was some, like, deep psychological reason, like, I didn't love myself enough, or for a long time it was my parents, you know, my dad, he fucked me up, it's his fault. Um, like, that there was something that I needed to figure out, but I got here and I figured out that it, I didn't need to figure anything out, that it's just that I have this disease and I just need to take the program of recovery and, and follow it the way it's been laid out. I don't need to figure any of those deep underlying reasons out. Um, so when I, when I came here, um, I had gone on my first successful diet in my life, and I can't tell you why it was successful. I just know that um, the spring that I was 17, um, my family was going on a vacation to Hawaii, and I wanted to look good in a bikini, so I went on a diet, and I'd been on countless diets before then, but for some reason this one stuck, and it was a really, like, rigid, super controlled, where I was, like, weighing and measuring all my food and counting all the, the calories and fat grams, and I lost weight, and I was, I think, a little bit um, lighter than I am now at the end of that diet, and we went to Hawaii for the week, and while we were there, I, I met this guy who I, I'd known from back home, and, like, he was there, and I ran into him, and we hooked up, and it was like, oh, God, this is so great. You know, I just need to lose five more pounds, but everything's falling into place. And um, I got home, and I couldn't get back on my diet. For the life of me, it was just like the compulsion was back, and it was like just so much more powerful than it had ever been before. And I was having the experience where I would get up in the morning, I would wake up, and I wouldn't even want to get out of bed because I knew that once I started to eat, I wasn't going to be able to stop, and I could only put off taking that first bite of food for so long. So I would get up, and I would have the intention of, like, okay, today I'm going to go on the diet again, and here's when I'm going to be having my rice cakes and my this and that. And at some point during the day, I, I would just be like, well, I'm just going to have one cookie, or I'm just going to have one whatever. And then I would have that one thing, and then, of course, I would have more and more and more. And I was eating to where I was, like, physically sick, and my stomach was all descended, and, and I just, I hated myself, and I hated the way it made me feel, and the reason that I came to OA was because it wasn't working anymore. There was a time when I was younger where, you know, food was this pleasurable thing, and I would, like, sit and read a book and eat something and kind of shut out the world, and everything would just kind of be okay, and by the time I got here, it wasn't like that anymore. It was really hellish, and I hated myself every time that that first bite got in my mouth. I didn't even get a moment of, of relief. And, and I'm really grateful for that because uh, a lot of times, I mean, I'm sure probably some of you guys have had the experience of people come up to you and go, oh, you're so young, it's so great, you're here, you get to do this, and, and I wish I'd come when I was your age. And, and I just feel like, you know what? I am really grateful that I got to come and stay when I was 18, and I'm really grateful that my life was so fucking miserable because if it hadn't been, I wouldn't have been able to stay. It was only because it, my life was such a mess and I hated myself so much 
that I was able to, to come and stick around. Because I did not want to be here, you know. OA is not a cool place to come. Like, let's not fool ourselves, <laughs> you know. Like, this is not the cool place to be. And um, I remember I, I went to a lot of AA meetings in my early recovery because of my first year of abstinence. I lived in a small town. And so the OA program was really small. So I went to all these AA meetings. And there were some young people. And, you know, AA people are, like, cool. And they're all, you know, doing stuff late at night, whatever. Things that all the OA people are in bed at 9 p.m. <laughs> you know? Like, so the, these AA people were cool. And I remember... I, I just had this resentment, like, God, if I had to be an addict for, of something, like, why couldn't I be, like, alcoholic or drug addict? Because that's so glamorous, and all those people in recovery are so cool, and they've got a young fellowship. They have great big young people's conventions. And I remember my sponsor at the time just saying to me, well, you know, maybe you have this disease because for an alcoholic, they can just put down the drink, and that's it. And you have to deal with food three times a day. And so that means that you have to work a really good spiritual program. You can't afford to slack off. And, and that's always stuck with me, that maybe there's a reason why I have this disease and not some other addiction. I'm one of those, like, completely non-alcoholic people who I get a drink and I drink a little bit and I start to feel tipsy and then I stop because I don't really like to get past that tipsy point. Like, it just it doesn't feel fun to me. And I drink, like, not very often. It's just not appealing to me. Food was always my thing, you know. From a, a young age, food was my thing. And when I came, I thought that maybe I, I hadn't done enough because I was a relatively normal weight and I was so young. And there was nobody my age. I mean, for a really long time, I was the youngest person in every meeting that I went to. And that was really hard. And there was a group of young people when I came in um, who were about like four or five, six years older than me, just like three or four or five people. And... Um, and that was it, you know, there was like nobody else who was close to my age and I was sitting in meetings with people who were like talking about their kids and I, like, I remember this woman was talking about like this man she was dating and his kid was such a pain in the ass or something, I just wanted to be like, look, bitch, you know, like if you're going to be a stepmom, you got to love that kid because, you know, like that, I was the kid, I, that was where I was at in my life, like feeling like pissed at my parents about stuff and, um, and it was hard for me to relate. But one of the most important things that, I mean, I think because I was desperate, I just kept coming back. There was a long time when I didn't like a lot of the people. I didn't like most of the people. But I kept coming back because I knew that even if I didn't like you, there was something in these rooms that was bigger than all the people and, and that I needed it, and I could only get it by coming here. And um, I, I, I'm really grateful that I kept coming back, even when I didn't like OA very much. Um, and... Another thing that was really important was that I learned to look for the, the similarities and not the differences, because I could find a million differences between me and the person sitting next to me who was my mother's age and who was dealing with menopause or, you know, like all these, these things that were just not even on my radar. And I've learned that I can listen to the speaker who spoke at the opening um, ceremony, I don't know how many of you were there, but... He was, he's male. He's, you know, about 30, 30 25 maybe years older than me, um, and, and he's like a 100-plus pounder. On the surface, I have nothing in common with this man, but I get so much out of hearing him share because what's underneath that is what I relate to, all the feelings of this disease, feeling not enough and hating myself and being obsessed with my body and obsessed with food and full of fear and full of resentment, even though 
I, I might have been different from a lot of people when it came to age. When I could look beyond that, I could see how similar I was. The emotional and spiritual manifestations of this disease were exactly the same for me, even though I got here younger than a lot of people in the room. And so it was really important for me to learn how to relate to people who I really didn't think I was going to be able to relate to. And on the flip side, it was also important for me to cultivate relationships with other young people in recovery because there were some things that I just couldn't talk about with my older program friends, you know, like going out and, and staying up really late, you know, going out dancing and coming home at dawn. Like, that's not something that a lot of <laughs> my 50- and 60-year-old away friends do. But, like, I met people in these rooms who, who I could share that kind of stuff with and who I could talk about the kind of problems that you have when you're young. I lived with my parents for um, a good part of my early recovery, and, um, and that was a challenge. And, and so it was really important that I met other young people and I got to talk to them about these things. Um, another thing that really helped me was to be able to see the beginnings of people's stories, because I thought, well, maybe I need to go out and eat some more and gain some more weight, and then I'll come back and then I'll qualify. And, I mean, of course, the reality is the third tradition says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. So anybody can be here. It doesn't matter how much or how little you weigh. But um, I learned, like, when I was reading the stories in the big book, that there's a few stories in there written by people who came in when they were teenagers. But there's also a lot of stories who talk about, where the people talk about their, their late teens and their early 20s, and they say things like, you know, at 18... I, I, now I know, in retrospect, that at 18 I was already an alcoholic. And just because that person didn't get sober until they were 30, 40, 50, they were already an alcoholic at 18. And so it helped me to see that just because I got abstinent young, you know, it didn't mean that I hadn't done enough. Like, this could be enough. My bottom could be enough. So um, just to, to jump forward a little bit, so I've, I've been in the program for 12 years now, I've been abstinent for 11 odd years, and I feel incredibly grateful for that. Um, I feel like I was really blessed to, like, I mean, my abstinence is, is for the most part, just a, a huge state of grace where I'm free of the compulsion, I would say, like 99% of the time, and I'm free of the obsession around food probably 90 to 95% of the time. Um, and that's a miracle, and it, I think it came from really just turning over um, my, my will and my life and my food and really admitting that I could not do this. And when I got here, I was not really excited by the God thing. Like, I was quite frankly freaked out and turned off, and I was raised in a home where religion was for rednecks and stupid people, and it was not for educated folks like my family. And, um, you, you know... It was just, no, I wasn't interested. I didn't believe. And I was desperate, so I tried acting as if. And just acting as if there was something that could help me. And just really saying, you know what, as much as I want to control this, I can't. Thanks. I'm powerless over food, and I can't do this. So I'm going to believe that something else can. Um, that was when, for me, I was able to really get abstinent for it to change from me hanging on by my fingernails to actually feeling like something had believed that compulsion to eat. Because when I had that compulsion, it was like this physical like hole inside of me. That was how it felt. 
like a black hole that was like sucking everything in its path in through my mouth. And um, it was, I didn't know how to not eat when I had that feeling. And somehow I got relieved of having that feeling through reaching out to a higher power of my own understanding. And quite frankly, like, I don't really understand what it is. Um, my faith has changed a lot over the years. And right now I'm kind of at a place where I feel very agnostic in that I believe that there's something and I can access that power, but I don't know what it is. And I don't think that it's all powerful because a lot of shitty stuff happens in the world. And um, so there's something that can help me with my food. And there's something that can help me to react sanely no matter what happens in my life. But I don't think it's going to find me a parking space or, you know, like find me the perfect job or any of those kinds of things. Um, but I've, I've learned how to, how to pray even when I didn't believe that there was something out there. And just taking the action, I was able to get help, even if I didn't believe before I took the action. Um, so let's see, what else do I want to say? Um, I guess just to share with you guys a little bit about what's happened in the time that I've been in this program, I've really grown up in this program. Uh, I, I, I feel like the changes that have happened to me have been so wonderful. And um, I, I came in here, and I mean, not only was I young chronologically, I was, you know, I was also like stunted emotionally because I had just been pushing everything down with food. And so I never learned all this stuff that I guess normal people learn somewhere about like how to have a life and how to have relationships and how to interact with people. Um, I just didn't learn it, you know. And so I got to learn that stuff in these rooms, and I got to um, mature emotionally, and um, I've got to travel, um, which is something that's been really wonderful, and go to places where there sometimes have not been OA meetings and stay abstinent. Um, I've gone back to school in this program, and soon I'll have my undergraduate degree, and um, I've gotten to do that abstinently and write papers and um, you know, take exams and do all that crap and stay abstinent. Uh, I, I've been able to change my relationships with my family. And when I came into this program, I really, I mean, I had a lot of resentment against a lot of people in my family. And um, it took years of being in this program, and it took a lot of step work. But I let go of the resentments that I had at both of my parents, which were, I can't, like, I'm enormous, <laughs> huge. I let go of both of them, and I have really wonderful relationships with my parents today and with a lot of other people in my family. Um, I got married last year, which is a direct result of having worked this program and having learned from people in these rooms how to have healthy, intimate relationships, and not to mention that I actually met my husband through an OA member. Um, uh, so I can say on many different levels that it never would have happened if it wasn't for OA. But I just, I wasn't available for that stuff, you know. Like, I hated myself so much that I couldn't have really been intimate with somebody, either physically or emotionally. And um, this program helped me to get to a place where I could do that. Uh, it was kind of weird to, growing up in OA, it's kind of weird because when I came in, like I said, I was the youngest person in the room every time. And then kind of something happened in the last few years where I was like, there's all these other people who are younger than me, and it's so good to see them. I'm so glad they're here. I see people come in 18, 19, 20, 
sometimes even younger, and, and I'm so happy they're there. And here I am like, getting married and turning 30, and I'm like, damn, I'm not a young person anymore. It was really weird to walk around and be like, I have a husband. Because that's like not something you have when you're young. And this part of my identity just shifted, you know, from being like the young OA person to now just being an OA person, I guess. Um, but it's been a really wonderful journey. And, uh, and the other thing I'll just say, since I only have a couple more minutes, is that um, I think what's enabled me to stick around has been having a sponsor and working with Seth. Because I had a lot of crap. I had a lot of emotional baggage and a lot of fear and self-hatred and self-pity and resentment. And I truly believe that if I hadn't gotten rid of that stuff, I would have gone back out and started to eat. Um, I'd been abstinent for about a year and a half and hadn't really been working the steps and was completely miserable. And, um, and I got the willingness to sit down and start working on a fourth step, and that was when my recovery really took off. And the steps have changed me on the inside so that I can continue to stay abstinent. And um, today I have a sponsor because I need someone to help me work my program. I have sponsees. I go to three meetings a week. I follow a food plan, um, which doesn't have to look like anybody else's. It just has to be what works for me. I try to do service. I pray on a daily basis. I meditate a few times a week. I do step work. Um, this program has completely changed my life. I mean, it gave me a life because I didn't have a life when I came in here. So um, I'm really grateful if I can give back in any way. Thanks. Um, does anyone have the basket, basket or whatever it is? And um, now I will draw questions if there are any for our speakers. Um, our first one is for Christina, and it says, um, can you speak for a few minutes more about how OA has helped you with relationships and finding your husband? I don't know if this was before your speech, but I guess you can say something else. Um, well, I can't say that OA helped me to find my husband exactly. <laughs> There's not a lot of men in these rooms. <laughs> um, although, like I said, I did meet him through a program friend. But I guess what this program helped me to do was to be available for that. My first relationship in recovery was a really fucked up one that, you know, I, I was like a month abstinent and I fell in love and it was a mess and I wasn't working the steps and he was my higher power and ugh, it was ugly. And um, so I had to relearn when I got into this relationship um, we've been together for seven years now. Um, so when I got into this relationship, I already kind of had a firm grounding in the program, which was really good because I couldn't have, because relationships are hard and they just bring up a lot of feelings. So it was good that I already had some abstinence and I'd already gone through, I think, the first four steps when I met him. And, um, and I just talked to people in these rooms who had good programs and had good romantic relationships and like, asked them what they did and told them when I was pissed off or scared or whatever and, and got their feedback and wrote 10 steps and wrote my fears down and read them to my sponsor and prayed a lot every day. I turn over a lot of things and 
most importantly, my food, but also all kinds of things in my life. And I always turn over my relationship with him and the future and his thoughts and feelings because I can't control them. Um, so that's a little bit about how this program has worked in that part of my life. Thanks. And um, another question to, I guess, you girl in brown shirt. <laughs> um, can you describe how the nutritionalist helped you and how many times you met with them? I would say is that in the big book it talks about if you need outside help, yeah. you should get it from professionals. Yeah. And if you want to talk to Abby after the meeting, she's around. Sure. Okay. And um, so for anyone who wants to answer this one, um, are you not afraid that because you found recovery so young, you'll relapse later in life? Anyone want to? Um, I think the answer to that would be no. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Um, I mean, I guess the thing about it is that, I mean, relapse could happen any day, any minute, you know, and it's like I don't, I don't really think about it as something that might happen, you know, later, like, oh, well, once I've had 20 years, I'll get sick of it or whatever. Um, I think that, I guess for me, I don't really fear relapse. Um, I know I probably did a lot when I was first in program, but it's been a pretty long time now. Um, and one of the things that I learned in, through experience was that usually my food is sort of the last thing to go. Um, the first thing to go is usually like, I'll kind of stop, you know, going to meetings as much and maybe I'll stop calling people as much and then I'll stop, you know, it's like once I stop doing all the tools of the program, that's the very last thing. And I'll be like, ooh, I'm doing great. I don't really need program anymore and look at me. And then all of a sudden, like, something really weird happens with food and I'm like, oh, wait, shit, you know, I do need this program. So, um, yeah, I guess relapse is something that could happen at any time and, and, um, and, I, and this program is one day at a time, you know, and, and it has been. That's the only way I've gotten as, <laughs> gotten as far as I have. So I think that actually the opposite is true for me. I mean, I feel like since I found recovery so young, I just look forward to what my life is going to be like, you know, how much I've changed just in the last six years and and how much more open to myself I am. And, you know, and it's funny, in the beginning it was all about, you know, I want to be rid of all my character defects, I wanted this, I wanted that, and now it's just I'm becoming more and more okay with accepting myself as I am just with whatever and you know I may be funky in this way I may not be and I just get more and more comfortable in my skin and I just enjoy life as it is more so it's just such you know I just I don't know I think it's amazing to be part of this program and you know and and to add to that too you know I think Abby was saying this that recovery is one day at a time and abstinence is one day at a time and all I get to do is show up and work my program today I heard somebody one time say at a meeting, it might even be an AA slogan, I don't know, but 
something like, no matter how much I breathe today, I still have to breathe tomorrow. And I feel that way about my program. It's like, I'm going to show up, I'm going to work my program. That doesn't mean I'm not going to work it tomorrow. You know, and there's, there's days and there's weeks when I'm ill or when I'm whatever, my program takes on a different form, but, you know, I show up for my recovery every day, and, and that's where my, where my concern is, so. Um, I think we have time for one last one. Anyone answer this? Are you in a relationship, and if so, have they ever been non-supportive? And um, how can someone not let that bother them or influence them, I guess? Um, I am definitely in a relationship. Um, I mean, I said before I'm married, but I guess what I'll talk about actually is um, when I first got into program, I was in a relationship with an alcoholic um, that I knew was an alcoholic, but I was like, oh, you know, my higher powers brought me this alcoholic and I need to go out with him. Um, so uh, that was interesting. Um, I'm just looking at the question. And, you know, I think that he was supportive. I mean, I can't imagine being in a relationship with with someone very long-term that wasn't supportive of me and, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, he certainly didn't understand. Um, and, you know, that, that was hard. So I guess, hmm, I guess my feeling is that, you know, the number one thing that I have to do is, is my recovery has to come first. That's how I can manage to be in a relationship with someone. Um, and I think that I would hope that if somebody, if I was in a relationship with somebody that wasn't supportive of that, I mean, that's kind of like not supportive of who I am. So that's kind of like a big problem, um, you know. And I guess one other thing I would say is that that's sort of talking about romantic relationships. But there has been um, friends in my life or, or family members who weren't as supportive as I would want them to be. And, you know, it was kind of like I had to get that they had their own deal. That's why they maybe were having problems with what I was doing. Um, and the most important thing for me was to keep doing what I was doing, you know, and, and to do what worked for me. And if somebody wasn't going to be a healthy influencer or a healthy person for me, then I would probably need to let that person go. Um, but the people who have been non-supportive have actually come around and been supportive later. So I sort of let them process their thing. And once they were ready to be supportive, I was still there to, to be friends with them. So. Yeah, I believe that's our last question. And now um, we will have three-minute shares, positive pitches. Um, please limit your shares to three minutes, and please stick to the topic. And um, there is a tape release form, because we're audio taping this, I believe, so make sure to sign it if you're going to come up and share. Um, okay, so um, just come up, make sure to sign your name. Hi, I'm from um, Apparently, I'm supposed to be the first one to share. Um, thank you, guys. Uh, the three of you are all people I see all the time and really admire. So um, it was nice to hear a, a longer share than usual from each of you. Um, okay, being young in program. Uh, just to qualify, I think my, from what I understand of most anorexics, I actually became sick later on. Um, I was 20 when I started acting out in my disease, and I came into program when I was 20, right before I turned 23, I think. 
I was like actively sick for three years. I've been in recovery too. I just celebrated two years of abstinence last week. Um, thanks. I love that. <laughs> um, and um, there's not a lot of young people in program that I see. Um, so so this is neat. And also my sponsor and one of my sponsees are here today, and they're both young people as well. Um, and it does make me different than my um, circle of friends. But, um, and I have had a lot of people who weren't very supportive of it. Um, the girl that I was seeing when I first went into recovery, um, I remember, I, I'm just bringing up relationship stuff because there's so many questions about it. But um, I told her, she came to visit me at the clinic I was at, and um, this was when I was starting to kind of have my, my turnaround and realize that I was going to have to um, really incorporate recovery into my life. Because when I first went, I thought, you know, I'll get better and then I'll go and do whatever I want. But no. Um, and I told her, I was like, you know what, this is going to have to be a part of my life, and you're either going to do recovery stuff with me, or I'm going to do it without you. And um, she left me. And um, that sucked, but I truly believe that if she and I would have stayed together, I would not be abstinent now. Um, and there's been a lot of people I've had to let go of, and it's been really hard. But the people who I haven't had to let go of, my friends, even though I am different than them, they really, I think most of them really admire me. Um, when we have barbecues and stuff, they're always like, Karina, why don't you say a prayer before we eat? Or, you know, all that kind of stuff. They love it. And um, they're always so, you know, like, even though it was in the middle of Pride weekend when I celebrated two years of abstinence, my friends still remembered. And, you know, they're like, it's your anniversary. Let's take a shot. Woo, you know. Um, so they support in their different ways. And um, and I stayed out of the dating scene for about a year in, you know, into recovery and almost a year to the day I met the person that I've been with for the past year and um, thanks I'll wrap up and um, you know and I, I look at that relationship the same way either you're going to do it with me or I'm going to do it without you and um, right now I'm fortunate enough to have somebody who does it with me and um, I also have a healthier relationship because I know that with or without her I still have all you guys and you guys are not going to leave me no matter what so thanks Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm not officially young anymore, which is really sad. Um, I guess just to me. <laughs> I came in when I was 18. And, uh, and I was a senior in high school. And, um, oh God, it was a bunch of fucking old fogies. <laughs> and, and then I went out and... Um, needed to binge for a summer. I was a camp counselor and I stole my campers care packages. And um, it was really, really, really important to me to have young people in my meetings. And uh, I was really fortunate. I went to UC Berkeley that um, there were meetings across the street from campus. And I had this little group of young people who were freshmen in college with me. And, um, and I had a sponsor who had come into the program when she was 16, and she was like a year older than me and had abstinence. And I just really needed people I could relate to. Um, and that was my experience, and I was really blessed to have that. But I needed somebody that I could talk to about dating and about living in the dorms because I was dealing with, like, 
living in the dorms and like passing pizza places and going to frat parties and um, which are disgusting anyway but <laughs> I thought that that was what I was supposed to be doing and um, and you know like and I was really blessed to have this like little group of, you know, four compulsive overeaters who were, you know, trying to study and all that kind of stuff, doing all this kind of stuff. And um and I did, as somebody said, start to see um, you know, like that I had similarities to the forty, fifteen, sixty year olds too. But I did feel different being 18, 19, 20. And, you know, I did have to deal with, like, um, I drank in abstinence, you know, and, and that was something that I did differently. I would go out dancing and stay out dancing until, you know, 1 or 2 in the morning, and I had to figure out, thanks, you know, how to do a food plan with that and eat a snack with that. And... Um, and dating and all of that kind of stuff. I was just in the relationships and sexuality meeting, and if you heard me, I got up there and I was like, I love sex. You know, now I've said it on like three tapes. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I fucking swear. And, you know, sometimes I hear older people say, excuse my language, and they say, hell. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? So, um and it's even worse back east. I went to school back east, and they're like, they don't swear at all. So um, so I just feel really blessed that you guys are all here. And, um, you know, I think it's really important that we have folks. And if you're new, God, keep coming back. I can't wait until I've been in recovery longer than I've been alive. I've been here. Um, I have... Uh, 16 and a half years of abstinence and um, I can't wait till I'm, a, I'm an old fogey in a way and I can be like running a young person meeting and be like I remember when I was 18 and I came into OA hopefully there'll be another young person running the OA meeting I'm Carly, compulsive eater, anorexic, and bulimic. Hi. Um, so I, this is, I think, my going on my eighth year in program, and I came in when I was 17 and promptly left for a year. I was at one meeting in, at Berkeley, and I went into a dark room, and there were three people laying on the floor meditating. And I was severely anorexic at the time and could not sit still for an hour without chewing a pack of gum, drinking a Diet Coke, and running around the block at least five times. And um, I, I didn't understand, um, but I knew what OA was, and I knew, and the people in the room were not overweight, and they were young, and so I had this, like, wow, people can lay on the floor and sit still, and for me, that, just sitting still for an hour was something I really couldn't imagine doing at that time. And um, I, had, I had a name for something that might help me a year later when I was relapsing in bulimia, and realized that I really needed help. And my story is one of many, many different times needing to go and see how much worse it could get before I would come back and say I really need help now. But after that year, I never officially left OA again. And so for the last seven years, whether I was binging or purging or starving or over-exercising or overeating, whether I was 30 pounds heavier than I am now or 30 pounds lighter than I am now, I was always here. And 
I didn't get struck abstinent, and I still haven't been struck abstinent. I have abstinence from bulimia for over two years now, and um, maybe three, almost three, and um, that I'm just amazed and grateful for, but it wasn't for me. I, I started program in Santa Cruz officially, and there weren't very many young people, and my first sponsor was the skinniest person in the room, and because I wanted to be like her. And my second sponsor was the fattest person in the room because I couldn't stand starving myself anymore. And I did a lot of just trying to find my place here. And when I moved to the Bay Area three years ago, I was like, I felt like I had found heaven because there were all these people that were speaking my language and that had, there were just so many resources and there were multiple meetings every day and people who were anorexic and people who were bulimic and thank you, I'll wrap up. And people who um, just, I found what I needed here. And the the blessing of being, I was like 21 when I moved here, um, or 22, and starting a career. And um, I had relapsed in bulimia, was still in program, but just was like a mess. And I found o- Oakland, and I found a way in Oakland. And just, I found sponsors that were my age and people that I could call that had recently started careers, recently started relationships, and suddenly I found what I needed, and I was then able to get abstinent. And so I would say, you know, first of all, keep coming back, and don't quit before any miracle happens. And um, also that it just, just to carry the message to other young people, um, I am so, so grateful that I found this fellowship and that um, I can call people and flip out about, you know, whether I'm doing the wrong job and I need a new career or I need a new boyfriend or, you know, I need a new food plan. Thank you. Um, and I'm just, I don't, um, I don't think anyone can come in too soon. So keep coming back. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm probably one of those old fogies in the room right now. Which is fine. Um, I just I come from a um, small town where um, I actually had to start the meeting, and I I only have seven months in program. Um, I had to start the meeting because there wasn't one, and um, the people that the wonderful people that are in the rooms with me are in the room with me (laughs) once a week. (laughs) Um, Are my mother's age and. look different than me and and don't um, share my concerns as well. And so what I wanted to say was just how much I got out of your shares and how much um, it is important for me that young people are in the room. And um, it's only today that I heard that, uh, well, when I hear people's food plans are three meals a day snacks, this is the first time I've heard that maybe my food plan means that I actually have to eat those three meals. You know, that um, where, you know, the people that um, share with me are, they can eat anything that they want. I mean, anything that they put in front of them, they will eat. Whereas for me, um, I, I didn't know that there were people out there as well who just didn't eat so I just um, wanted to say how much I am thankful for you all and um, 
that if you ever live in a small um, town or an area that does not have OA, please, please start a meeting. Um, it, it, it just, it will, having young people in the room um, makes a difference for the rest of us. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm anorexic. And um, just to qualify, I came into the rooms a little over a year ago. I was 15, and I'm 16 now, going on 17. And um, this is the last place I wanted to be. My mom is a longtime OAer, and I remember she used to tell me stories about how me and my sister used to go to OA meetings Saturday mornings and sit in the back and eat donuts. <laughs> and um. I didn't even know I was going to, I didn't know what they were, but um, so this was really the last place that I ever imagined I would be. I was the last person in my family to get into program, and so, you know, but I mean, you know what, I'm grateful to be here, and um, I guess the only thing that makes me different than older people in the room is that just my disease progressed faster than theirs, and um you know, because I've also had a lot of, um, a lot of young people I know too, like, you know, is this really my bottom? Like, I'm so young, I'm sure I could get a lot sicker if I wanted to. And, um, um, you know, someone told me that it helped me so much in a medium, and I was talking about how, oh, what if I'm not, what if it isn't my bottom? And someone told me, you know, your bottom is only as far as you, it will help when you decide to stop digging. So um, that helped me so much because, you know, my bottom might be, you know, way shallower than someone else's. And, you know, instead of being bummed out about that, I should be grateful. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I came in, and as far as I know, I've, I'm the youngest person I've seen in meetings. And um, it's been difficult because... You know, my life is a lot different than other people's, but you know, it's just like everyone here, so I can you know, I can say that at least. And um, you know, I've found people in the rooms who are around my age or who share the same concerns as I do, and that's all that I need, even if it's just one person. And you know, I've also um, found people who are older who I've had stuff in common with, but um, it's definitely helped to have younger people. And, um, you know, I still sometimes have trouble with people saying, oh, I wish I had come into program at your age and stuff like that because it feels almost degrading to me. And, um, you know, but I just have to, you know, just like anybody else who, like, comments about your food, it's like, you know, they don't really understand and in that aspect of it. And so I just have to let that go because it can be difficult and it can make me want to not come back. And so... um you know, I've been able to come back, and, you know, now what I'm, you know, thinking about now is coming up on college and coming up onto my senior year right now and going over to play to college, and, you know, there aren't people right now who I can talk to who are going through the same thing as I am, but there are people in this room who have, and so, um, you know, just knowing that there's people here who have gone through that absolutely, or even sick who understand what it's like and um, just knowing that 
when I go away to college, I'm going to start at OA meeting, and and hopefully there'll be a lot of other young people there. And so um, thanks, everyone, for being here. It was really great to see, and thanks for your share with you guys. Um, it is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and everyone who shared and all that have done service. And now, um, please stand and join hands as we close the meeting with the OA promises. I put my hand in yours. Thank you.